Sometimes love appears in unexpected places. It's time for the Earthling Spotlight, where we recognize an independent poet or novelist. This person not only excels in their field, but also moves the industry forward. York, who's it going to be this time? As you know, I enjoy alien invasions, high-speed car chases, and post-apocalyptic worlds. You may accuse me of having, I guess, a stereotypical male brain. Well, whatever that means. But I'm not one-dimensional. I do like the softer things in life, you know, such as, um, well, let me see, puppies and rainbows. However, romance novels were never my thing. I always thought of them as too sappy, too mushy, But when I read Elevated Inferno by Corlata Ardell, it changed my mind. For one, it's not too mushy. And two, it's not too sappy. It's probably because the author is a robotics engineer in real life. So she doesn't get lost in emotional dribble. Yeah, that's right. My special guest designs robots. Robots. How cool is that? Why would a doctor in robotics write a romance novel? Find out with my special guest, Carlotta Ardell. How are you, Carlotta? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. It's great to finally speak with you. Today is the pre-order for my new and first ever fictional novel, Elevated Inferno. So it's a busy morning getting all this social media set up. I could imagine all the hard work that you have to go through to put together a book and release it. Uh, When it comes to romance novels, I'm not the romance novel type of person, (laughs) As as I said on my intro. As my fellow listeners know, I am more into robotics and science fiction, but you are a robotics engineer. That's what's fascinating about you and this book. What got you into robotics? So I have a bachelor's degree in mathematics as well as electrical engineering from Spelman College and Georgia Institute of Technology. And my initial goal was to just be an electrical engineer. And electrical engineering has a lot of sub-disciplines, and one of them is controls. Controls. Controls is very closely related to robotics. Controls has to do with designing a system or a process to be able to achieve some certain behavior. Control. Same with robots, right? You could design a robot to follow a wall, to pick up a Coke can. Don't a robot to vacuum, etc. But the idea of a robot vacuum cleaner And so while I was an undergraduate and after taking a controls class, I took a robotics course 
And I was extremely disappointed to find that only the graduate students got to touch the robot because the robots were very expensive. So we could write the software, we could study the theory, but they didn't really want us to break anything. Don't touch it. And so I decided way back then that I was going to get my PhD in robotics and I was going to design robotics courses and things where people could actually engage with them. So my PhD work is actually in human-robot interaction or looking at ways to design systems that can engage with robots in a way so that the novice user would be able to do it because it's intuitive. So it's human-robot interaction and human-robot interfaces. That is so cool. I should have contacted you when I wrote Life Replica. It's a story about AI technology. It seems like such a stretch for you for to go from robotics to romance. Why did you want to write a romance novel? I know, it's really crazy. So so what happened is when the pandemic started, I got with three other Black women um, engineering professors, and we had all decided we were going to write a fictional book series because our primary goal was to educate the community writ large about the experiences of Black women in engineering and Black women academics. And as we were writing, I kept noticing my books kept drifting into the romance phase because that's what I like to read. And I think my goal became I wanted to normalize seeing Black women in STEM and academia and engineering in their everyday lives. And as part of our everyday everyday lives, we love, we lose, we have family issues, we have challenges. And I think that's so important because people do see PhDs and people in engineering and STEM as these super nerds or these super smart people that are unattainable by the for the average person. And I want to show them that no, anyone can do engineering, anyone can do robotics, anyone can do STEM. You don't have to be a super nerd or super intelligent or Sheldon or Dilbert. You just have to have a passion for it. So by writing books that seem to kind of be a dichotomy between these two things of romance and STEM, I'm able to show that there's many entry points and all of them make sense. For my listeners, what is STEM? STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. So that's essentially people who have degrees or study or engage in those topics. And just recently, we've also come up with the acronym STEAM, which is Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, and Mathematics. STEAM. So I like to say that my fictional book series are probably more along the line of STEAM because we're injecting that art into the STEM. Did you come up with STEM romance? Until I hear that someone else has done it, I'm going to claim it as I am the creator of that genre, right? It's an intersection between African-American fiction, contemporary romance, Black women in STEM, or Black STEM. I have never seen a book that does that before. I read a lot of contemporary romance novels, and I have found some that have Black women as academics or professors, but I've never found one that had Black women in STEM. So I am going to claim that until someone corrects me. I don't come across robotics engineers. I was telling my son the other day ago, because he's into science and robotics, that I'm I'm going to have an interview with somebody and she's into robots. That's how I phrased it. And he said, well, do you mean she? She's into robots? I said, yes, son. I also made mention that 
that you are a black female. He said he's never met a black girl that's into robots. <laughs> I love that. And I said, yeah, kind of crazy, isn't it? Well, I want you to encourage your son to go to blackinrobotics.org, the website. I am the co-founder of Black in Robotics, and there is an entire page of Black roboticists, men and women. That sounds good. I'll do that. We actually do virtual workshops as well for that very reason, so that young people can see roboticists that look like them. Chapter one, the meat cute. The most important part of a romance novel is the meat cute because it sets the stage. You have to be careful to engage the reader right away because you want to see this potential couple in an incredible situation. And your situation is amazing because Monet, your main character, is stuck in an elevator. Please stand back from the closing doors. Please select a level. Suddenly, there was a jolt that jolted Monet and the elevator stopped. She looked up quickly and noticed the buttons on the elevator weren't illuminated. Her heart dropped into the pit of her stomach as she realized the elevator was stuck. Her rescuer is a firefighter, and not just any fireman, but he's incredibly handsome. What inspired you to write this meet cute? So I love the, the term meet cute. So Tiffany Christina Lewis has been my writing mentor. I met her on Twitter about two years ago. I did not know how to write a fictional book at all. I knew how to write technical books. I actually have a technical book, textbook that I've written on robotics as well. And some things she taught me were about romance tropes and what a meet cute was. I didn't know what meet cute was. I knew what I wanted to write the book about, but I didn't know that's what it was called. And I will be completely honest, as a professor during the pandemic, and we all went online, I spent a lot of time on social media, probably more than I should. So the inspiration for my first book and the ones to come, come from social media. So actually, that came from something I saw on Instagram. A young lady had gotten stuck in an elevator and she was live streaming her Instagram rescue. And when the doors opened up, there were these three handsome firefighters there. And immediately it went viral on Instagram and everyone was trying to find the handsome firefighter. He eventually comes forward and, you know, you know, they're trying to make love connections between the young lady and him. And he immediately admits, I'm married with children. Not going to happen. And I was talking to my girlfriend about it and I said, I'm making this into a book, but in my book, they're going to get together. So I was inspired by something I saw on social media. That's where the meet cute came from. Oh, that's really clever. And it's such a good meet cute because you have to entice the reader immediately. You have to figure out how they're going to meet. It can't be something lame like a diner or a <laughs> gas station, you know, it has to be something really clever. This got me. I was thinking, wow, how long is she going to be trapped inside the elevator? With labored breathing, she tried to calm down. She didn't want to transition into a full-blown panic. She rotated her shoulders, 
bent her neck and shook her hands to release the tension. It seemed like a movie was unfolding. And I've been stuck in an elevator before. That's one of the things I share with people. So I could feel her pain because I have been stuck in an elevator. And I, I, I was by myself and I did what they tell you not to do. I climbed out. And so another thing, I don't want to spoil the book for anyone, but the way she gets stuck in the elevator is exactly how I got stuck in mine. So I was walking through a building and after I got stuck and I went down to the lobby and I asked what happened and they were like, oh, I should have mentioned to you the power's been going on and off all day because they're doing construction outside. So the way that she got stuck in the elevator was actually something that happened to me. That's scary. At my workplace, people are getting stuck all the time. I even said to one of my executives that there's a problem with the elevator. But she was nonchalant about it and said, yeah, you know, these things happen. Don't worry about it. And I was like, no, people are stuck all the time in the elevator. They took longer than I thought was reasonable to get me out of my elevator I pried the doors and I climbed up to the next floor and the firefighters were in the lobby when I came down and they were like, ma'am, do you know that elevator could have started at any moment and you could have fell to your death or been crushed? And I was like, no. And I didn't think about that. All I knew is I didn't want to be in that elevator anymore. When they finally meet, she's infatuated. I mean, it's so obvious. You describe Reese so well. From his bulging muscles, the details on his face, the tone of his voice, they meet, but there's a problem. Chapter 2. Rejection of the Relationship Monet was battling with her emotions. Can I really see myself with this person? Uh, That's what she was thinking. And to some degree, he was battling as well even though they were infatuated with each other. Can you explain how that part of the story unfolded and why she was making excuses not to be with Reese? I tried to inject a little bit of what women academics or women in STEM or women who are highly motivated also deal with. I wanted to inject some of those challenges in the book without making it seem like a negative, But work-life balance is something that we talk about a lot. Work. Life. Balance. How do I I answer the call for my passion, for my discipline, for being an engineer, for being a roboticist, for being a scientist, while also trying to balance being a wife, being in a relationship, being a mother, taking care of my personal as well. And so I think in the case of Monet, that challenge for her was also, how do I please two masters or maybe three masters? Herself, her family, her discipline, her work, her passion for her field, but also give in to that need for love, that need for relationship, that need for romance. With respect to Reese, I think his was also a little torn like, hey, I don't know if this is a little smarmy for me to be trying to date somebody I rescued and met on my job, right? But, you know, I'm a firefighter and maybe I shouldn't be finding my dates among the people that I rescued. So I think those two things were at war with, with each of them. How, how do I learn how to do it all and please myself, the intersectional identities that I have? I guess you could say Monet is the main character, but you spend a lot of time with Reese. Chapter 3 
acceptance of the quest. Now, she finally gives the relationship a chance. You took your time with this part of the story, which I appreciate. The relationship is going well. They're not crazy in love with each other yet, but they're giving it a chance. And I really like that it's not mushy. I was waiting for the mush, but you didn't deliver. And thank goodness that you didn't. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So one thing I will say is I'm still, even though I say I'm about breaking the mold and breaking the stereotype of what a traditional engineer is seen about in society, I'm still an engineer. And so because I'm still an engineer, I'm still very linear. I'm very technical. So I'm not too many clouds and rainbows and cookies. Although I like to read romance novels, I still want to have that STEM component, but I'm also still not overly mushy because that's just not who I am as a person. You know, I'm still a scientist, a technologist. And so that's what you're seeing there. In fact, I'm so honored when I hear that people such as yourself who don't really read romance actually made it to the end of the book and you were able to digest it because that's how I want to normalize my work. Because I did have some people who I asked to review it who said, I'm not really a romance fan. But those who were able to read it and be okay with it, I know I've achieved my goal. A lot of dudes aren't into romance, but the way you designed your world and your characters, they'll get into this because there's logic to this. You are a scientist by heart. You construct a world that's based on your heart, but also on your mind as well. And the dialogue, that's one area I really like about your story. The dialogue is free flowing. And we're rooting for these characters when they're talking to each other. We want them to succeed. We want both of them to do well and to find love. Within Act 2, they're not thinking about their happily ever after. I could see they're just trying this out. Chapter 4. Trials and Temptations The trial started on their first date. I'm not sure it was at this part of the story that you mentioned Liliana, Ree's ex-girlfriend. I knew she was going to be a problem. (laughs) I love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, I could just sense it. It's like a gun that hasn't been fired yet. You introduced her like a gun in the glove compartment. It was just sitting there waiting to be released. But we knew somewhere in the story that that gun will go off and wreak havoc. And that's Liliana. She creates so much harm in the story. But also... Another person that created harm in the story is the waitress at this restaurant. She was really, really coming on to Reese. Because at this time in the story, Reese is popular. He went viral. Their server's name was Pashan. And in Monet's opinion, it was very befitting. Since she was a bit over the top with her blonde bob wig green contact lenses, fire engine, red nail polish, and extra long eyelashes. Your story has a social media vibe to it. If I'm on social media and I'm seeing something go viral that's a really cute, neat cute, and I'm like, 
I can't, I can't put it down. I can't turn it off. So I was like, I think if that was in a book, I'd feel the same way. I can't put this down. I have to see what's going to happen. I made the young lady at the restaurant extra obnoxious. Pashan unceremoniously placed Monet's order in front of her. She then turned to Reese with a warm smile to deliver his entree. Everything looked delicious. Monet couldn't believe she didn't have more of an appetite. That was so unlike her. Because I wanted Monet to be annoyed with the interaction, but I wanted it to be something reasonable. There are lots of Easter eggs in my writing because as a new fictional author, I also based a lot of what I write on my life. So if you notice, Liliana went to Spelman College, which is where I went to school. And I kind of hated that I made her go there because she was a nemesis in the book. And another Easter egg is when Passion and the other women were hitting on Reese when they were trying to just have their first date. Something similar happened to me when I was in my 20s. I went out with a friend. He wasn't someone I was dating, but he was extremely attractive. And I was surprised when we were at the restaurant and women would walk up to him. Hey, baby, how you doing? And just flirt openly with him or ask for his phone number. And I jokingly said to him, they don't know if I'm your wife, your sister, your girlfriend, and they just don't care. And, you know, he was used to it because it happened frequently. So I knew I had to get that in the book somewhere. And you did it so well. I'm really glad you included it. Reese is such a gentleman. Was it important to write an exemplary character? Yes. So I wanted to do that as well. Like I said, I read a lot of romance novels along many spectrums and some of them get a little gritty. And, you know, some of the male characters are always a little bit chauvinistic and um, I don't want to say abusive, but, you know, just, just a bit extreme. So I also wanted to be able to show positive Black men doing something great with their life. And, you know, since also uses my imprint Morehouse College, which is where Reese and his younger cousin Zion, L and his older brother went. So I used that also as a template for the male characters because I did experience Black men in my life who were doing positive things in the world. And they're not all misogynistic and, and negative. So I, I wanted to be able to show that as well. You know, even if they didn't end up together, I I didn't want him to be seen in a negative light. Even if you notice how he handles Liliana, you know, for as frustrating as she was, he never was completely disrespectful to her. I noticed that. And the good thing with your book is that people could learn from it. In your field of robotics, you wrote a textbook. But in a sense, this is sort of like a textbook. It's a textbook on relationships. So I could look at a person like Reese and see how I could handle confrontations and strife and and how he handles this other relationship so I could grow and learn from it. This is a good thing about your book. We could develop. It's not just entertainment. It's not just being swept off our feet into a fantasy world. It's so we can learn how to be better. Chapter 5. The Midpoint Crisis Like all books, there is the midpoint crisis. In a romance novel, this is the I need you, but I can't have you. 
situation or section. Even though Rees is a gentleman, he was trying to be intimate with Monet, but she stiffened and backed away. You deal with her Christian faith, and I'm glad you went there because too often writers don't go there. It's like off limits. You're brave enough to step over the line. How come you included her faith in the story? That's also a part of my life. I was a member of a church before I married my husband where they actually had the young ladies and the young men do a purity oath to remain celibate until they were married. I knew that I wanted the strong influence of Monet's parents to dictate her behavior, even when she didn't think it was. She felt she was rebelling against them because she didn't want to always live by what they tried to instill in her. But by doing that, she was also being influenced by them. And so I wanted it to come out that even if she was trying to push back on her uber-religious parents, some of what they had instilled in her still stood, right? Because she had seen in her past what happened when she went against the way that she had been brought up. And so I wanted to be able to show that. And although you don't really ever see them in church, I wanted to show that there is a way to be spiritual and to be religious and to have a moral compass that does not require you beating people over the head with the Bible or talking about God all day and showing that as a male character, he could respect that, right? And he would be able to eventually understand why she was like the way she was. And that also would help him to understand why she was so hesitant at the beginning to engage in a relationship at all. It creates tension in the story, almost a sexual tension. It reminds me of my relationship with my wife. We're both Christians, and before we got married, the temptation was there and we had to hold ourselves back. So when I read that part in the story, it placed me in Monet's mindset, and I really respected her decision and the bold choice you made with your characters not to go there. Don't do it. A lot of romance books, when you reach this part of the story, they're in the sheets very hot and heavy, but you held back. That's really good on your part. Thank you. One thing you mentioned earlier that I also wanted to bring up is that I wanted to be able to show Monet as strong but also soft something else that happens a lot for the few women or Black women that you do see in dim fields is that we're seen as resilient or enduring because there is such an obstacle course and we do deal with a lot of challenges to get to that pinnacle in our career. And you're kind of seen as hard. And so I wanted to be able to show, no, we get weak sometimes also. We cry sometimes. So a lot of the dialogues around that area when we're talking about, you know, her wanting to abstain and him respect that. True. Was me trying to show her softness. We are not strong all the time. Everyone, whether they have a mask on or that facade, it it sometimes slips. Your mask slips and you show who you are and really what you go through and why you feel and do the things that you do. And writing the dialogues around that were sometimes hard for me. Interesting, you mentioned before about my dialogue. Some of the most difficult dialogues for me to write were between Reese and his cousins and his brother and his friends because I was like, I don't know how to do a male voice. 
So learning how to write dialogue from a perspective that was not my own was, was a challenge. So I, I was thank you for, for saying that. That's a very hard to do, to go into the male psyche. But you went there. You understood how men occasionally rip on each other. And you crafted the dialogue so well. Thank you. That came, that came from spying on my husband when he's talking to his friends. <laughs> okay, that's good. Well, at least the spying definitely paid off. Within this midpoint crisis, she pumped the brakes like all good romance novels should. Chapter 6. The Road Back Just before we continue with our special guest, have you thought of creating your own podcast but can't be bothered with the technical stuff? If you want to record and have someone else worry about the compression, the leveling, the sound clips and music etc etc then you know what i'm your guy i've been sound designing successful shows such as most precious commodity and beta reader bits currently i have two spots available you can send me a twitter dm my handle is poetic earthling don't worry the link is in the show notes and also on your device now back to our conversation with Carlotta Ardell. There's the road back or pulling things back together. She needed space. It wasn't like a breakup or anything. They were brought back together. I like that. I also enjoy the pause you took in the story. Was that intentional? Yes, that was absolutely intentional. So when I mentioned earlier about work-life balance, where you're being pulled in two different directions to please two masters, this is exactly what I wanted to happen. So I actually list some things that really do happen with Black women in STEM. And I wanted those to be. And a big one is trying to please your thesis advisor, trying to please your PhD advisor. And I had my advisor, mine wasn't a relationship, but you need to stop doing so much with your friends. You need to stop working so much. I need you in the lab more. I need you doing research more. I need you working on the robot. I need you running your research studies. And so trying to figure out, I got to get my degree. I can't say no to this person who has to sign on the dotted line, but man, I want to be able to live my life. absolutely knew from the very beginning that I wanted to have that in there, where at some point she was going to have to walk away from what her heart wanted in order to pursue what her heart wanted. She was drawn between her career and him, and he's new, right? It's not like he's been around a long time. He's kind of like uh, kind of like a unicorn, you know? He's a rainbow in the skies, and she's not really sure if it's just a rainbow that looks nice, but then will fade or disappear. And then the real world is there. Her real world is her career. And she's not also confident that he is real and won't turn out to be a bust like the last one. Because you got to remember her, her first relationship, he was also great. You know, they grew up together, played video games together play basketball together. And if that person who she'd known since the cradle could turn on her, why wouldn't this new guy? 
Exactly. I think you made it realistic. Every story needs a break. It wouldn't have been good if they were totally in sync with each other right through. Chapter Seven, The Fall. This is the point in the story where they fall deeply in love. This is my favorite part of the book. I didn't want it to end. I watch a lot of rom-coms with my wife, and I know that. Within that story, there's always going to be a breakup, but I don't want a breakup in your story at all. I wouldn't even mind if all of the characters, your two characters, were just cute and adorable all the way through.、Aww. I would have been fine with that, and that's credit to you. That's credit to your writing ability. They're falling in love, and we, as the reader, are falling in love with them. We're cheering for them. We're sort of like their, I guess, their cheerleaders. We're on their side. We don't want them to to mess up. Reese, you have a good woman by your side. Monet, you have your knight in shining armor. But we have to discuss. Chapter eight: The breakup. What made you decide for them to break up? Monet has trust issues, and it had to be something. Where as trusting and trustworthy as Reese had been, she still had not a hundred percent opened up her heart to him. So I had to have it be something that showed she was still holding a little bit of herself back, and that little bit she held back, it was easy for Liliana to get a foothold and and rip that wide open. And that's what I was showing there. But the other thing I wanted to emphasize is that. It was a play on words. Is that he rescues her from that elevator at the beginning of the book, but she kind of rescues him from Liliana, because believe it or not, Reese still held out a flame a little bit for her, right? Even for all the her antics and how selfish she was, it was his first love. He was infatuated with her from the moment he saw her his freshman year of college on the yard, and so Monet was his first grown-up kind of relationship. So she kind of rescues him because he kind of kept lingering Liliana along. You know, he didn't really block her on any social media. He didn't really block her phone calls or anything. And it took her extreme behavior for him to finally go. No, I got to cut her off. This this chick has become too much. But Monet didn't need much to justify turning away from him. And so him not cutting Liliana off as he should have was all the justification. Monet needed to go. Nope, I knew it. He's just like the rest of them. You're right. I didn't think about it until now that he was holding out a spark for her. He didn't block all of her social media efforts. Yes, it was still open. Monet was struggling when she saw the picture of Liliana. Monet's body type is like my wife's body type. It's curvy in all the right places. Now. This other girl, she looked like a supermodel. Monet was insecure at this moment. This is the most insecure she's felt about her body. Yeah, she was comparing herself to her, and it's always dangerous. Women compare more than men. It is, but it's something that women do often. And I want all of my books to have black women as the main characters, and so I want to make. The dimensions of black women in their sizes, in their skin color, in their hairstyles, 
to always be a focal point of my books. And so I do want to emphasize that we are not all size six and that there is nothing wrong with that. Although we as women do sometimes compare ourselves to others and- Can I ask you something? Beat ourselves up when we look in the mirror. Do you think this makes me look fat? But in the end, I want us to see ourselves as beautiful as well. Chapter nine, The Sacrifice. I got to the part of the book that I like to call the sacrifice. Monet was all about her career. She broke up, refocused on her job. She was thinking that she had to cut Ray's out of the picture if she wanted to move ahead. This is the part of the story where I was so frustrated. When I was reading this, I was so frustrated at Monet. I was like, well, you don't have to throw away Reese. So that's that's another Easter egg from my actual career. Um, you can't have it all. It took me six years to get my PhD beyond my master's. So I was 32 when I got my PhD because I had worked for industry for a while. And one thing I had said when I didn't expect my PhD to six, six years was I still want to have children. I still want to get married. And I remember telling one of my PhD advisors, I was just like, I'm not sacrificing things I want for my life because I want to get a PhD in robotics and I want to teach engineering. And so that's what was going on at that point in the book is I wanted to show that she finally had to make a decision. I'm not sacrificing what I want for my life because of something else. I'm going to figure out how to have it all. And I can have it all. I just got to figure out how to do it. It's another way of engineering my life. I'm going to engineer my life to be the way I want it to and not live it for other people. And that's what she chose to do. Do you think all women can have it all? Absolutely. I think they can. If you purpose in your heart, this is what you want to do. You figure out how to do it. And I am not going to sacrifice who I am for a career. You know, we have students who are uh, grad students who will sometimes tell me, I'm never going to be a professor like you guys because you work all the time. You don't have any work-life balance. Some of you aren't married. You don't have children. I'm like, no, there is another way. And if you want to do it, you can do it. And I want my books to show that. You can achieve this. Chapter 10. Declaration of Love. It wouldn't be a romantic novel without the Declaration of Love. I think they were both in love with each other. You didn't use the word love too much in the story. Do you feel they were already in love with each other? I feel like love is an action word and that they already were in love. You know, it was time for them to say it, but it was already there. I think the emotion, the raw emotion of that moment is what made them finally verbalize it. But I feel like they had been in love almost from the time they saw each other on that elevator. I'll be honest. It's an action word. I think the way Reese engaged with Monet with all of her yo-yo, picking up the toy and putting the toy back in the box. Yes, no, maybe, I don't know. And him coming back, that was love. But I, I think it's an action word. I think her finally deciding, forget my advisor. I'm going to take care of my man. That's love. Whether they had said it or not, all of that was the action. I like the fact that you didn't say it too often in the story you know, the word love, you could just tell by their actions that the love is real. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Chapter 11. Happily Ever After. This is the point in the book, to be honest with you, 
I said to myself, okay, this part of the book, I should just let my wife read it because I don't care about the wedding dress. You don't care. <laughs> but I read it and it brought tears to my eyes. Oh. Where are all these tears coming from? I'm, I'm not supposed to like this part of the book. I saw the struggles. I, I saw everything that these two were, were going through. So I was able to enjoy their happily ever after. That part of the book is a treasure. And I can't wait for my listeners to read so that they may have hope in their relationships. Was writing this part of the book emotional for you? I was. I was actually listening to, I don't know if you noticed, but in the book, I periodically mentioned some songs, some R&B songs. I was listening to those songs when I was writing that part of the book. Because I was trying to get in that headspace because the series for the books is still called First Responder Fairy Tales, where we have first responders, but also these Black women in STEM are first responders and they're superheroes in their, their careers as well. And so I was still trying to have a play on the happily ever after, even though we know there's no such thing as happily ever after. So I was trying to figure out a way to do it without getting too sappy. Thanks. And so th that's kind of what I was going for there is at the end, I wanted it to kind of be like how a fairy tale kinds of ends. And then they lived happily ever after. But I kind of wanted to show not really, but kind of if happily ever after is even a thing, this is as close as you may get to that. Well, you know, I think it's a thing. I'm a romantic at heart, and I believe that the happily ever after exists. Now, there's always going to be setbacks in every relationship. Your sweetheart, your knight in shining armor, has some dents, has some rough edges. Even Reese, even though he's such a handsome, dashing person, but there's some dents in his armor. Also with Monet, even though she's beautiful and takes command of her career, but there's still muddy waters under her feet. I still believe there could be a happily ever after. Right. Superheroes have clay feet. I think that that's what it is. You're my happily ever after. One thing I talked to my friend about is love is me loving you in spite of your faults, right? That unconditional love means not that you're perfect, not that I'm perfect, but I can accept your faults and love you anyway. Your debut novel will be released on July 1st. Is that right? On Amazon, yes. On Amazon Kindle. Mm -hmm. On July 1st. Please pick up this book when it's released. Go on my website, poeticearthlings.com or welcome to earthstories.com. There's links to the book or in the show notes right on your device. Carlotta, you are an incredible earthling and I look forward to the other books in this series. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for reading my book and I loved discussing it with you and I wish you all the best. Thank you for listening to this special bonus episode. Elevated Inferno, Carlotta Ardell's new book is available July 1st. You can take a sneak peek at the book on her website, carlottaardell.com. 
All of the details is on my website, poeticearthlings.com. And remember, there is a new season coming up later on this year. With a new season comes a new name. Welcome to Earth Stories. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. And also, if you want to be a podcaster, just like me, but you don't want to go through the hassle of editing your show, then reach out to me on Twitter. My handle there is Poetic Earthling. Special thank you to Emily Inkpen, who read the chapters in this episode. You can find her podcast, The Dex Legacy Series. Insights in this episode was taken from The Structure of Romance, an article written by Robin Levette. Remember, be kind to each other. Be a good earthling. And I'll talk to you soon.